Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Before I get to it, let me give you some stories, if I could. In the Sudan, the South Sudan, a man named Michael preached a sermon at the Bihari Evangelical Church. It was recorded by spies in his congregation and turned over to officials who then came to arrest him. When his good friend Peter heard about the arrest, he went to see if he could help Michael, and they arrested him also. Peter recalls, I was taken into a dark cell. The only contact I had with anyone was when food was passed to me through a very small opening in the door. They would blindfold me and take me to interrogations. When the blindfold was removed, I would find four soldiers with guns pointing at my head. Michael was placed in a cell that was so crowded that the inmates had to sleep in shifts. When he tells the story, he doesn't complain about it, though. On the contrary, he gives glory to God. He says this was the perfect evangelism opportunity. Both pastors were then transferred to very hot and crowded cells where they had an opportunity to preach the gospel to the other inmates. Finally, they were relocated from those cells to the death row for the offense of offending Islamic beliefs. Since there was nothing more that could be done to them other than kill them, they decided to lift, live up to the charges that were levied against them, and they led other death row inmates to Christ. Peter and Michael were eventually called into a court for a final time. They knew this would either be their time of being released or they would be executed, but they felt at peace with either outcome. They were living the scripture, Philippians 1.20, where Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. In Ethiopia, angry members of the community burned down a church after a medical missions team came and shared the gospel. The Inwari Full Gospel Church located or hosted the medical missions team in an effort to be a blessing to the community. They didn't have medicines. They didn't have doctors, and they were so desperately in need. So they hosted this medical team. While the medical team was there, they shared the gospel. Many people came seeking medical attention, and this angered the local Orthodox extremists. So on March 10th, 2020, at 5 p.m., Hundreds of youth marched on the church. They assaulted three Christians who happened to be there at the time. They got sent to the hospital. Then they proceeded to burn down all the buildings in the church compound. Afterward, the mob went around in the community telling all Christian believers that they would kill them if they left their homes. The next day, a smaller group of young militants came and looted everything that was not burned. When the officials were sought and asked to intervene, they simply told the Christians, you should not have been preaching the gospel. The day after the church was burned, in spite of the threats against their lives and the hostility that had already been shown, in spite of all the danger against them, a group of believers met in the burnt remains of the church to spend time openly singing and praising God. In Egypt, 
Bombs blew up at two historic Coptic churches on Palm Sunday in 2017. Killed nearly 50 parishioners instantly and it injured more than 100 others. Just hours after the blast, through all the rage and the grief that follows something as horrible as that, Father Bullish George stepped before his packed church and he gave the terrorists a three-point sermon. It went viral worldwide. He called it, a message to those who kill us. In his three points, they were very simple, but they were not cliche. He said, thank you. He said, we love you, and we are praying for you. Father George said, thank you, because the terrorist had given the dead the honor to die as Christ died. He said, thank you, because the terrorist had shortened the victim's journey to their heavenly home, because terrorists had allowed Christians to fulfill the words of Christ in Luke 10, verse 3, when he said, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. He also said, thank you, because the terrorist actions that day made so many people mindful of their eternal destinies, so much so that the church that he was in, his church, in fact, was now overflowing with people who wouldn't normally attend. So then Father George said, we love you. We love you because even murderers and thieves know how to love those who love them, but only followers of Jesus Christ are taught to love their enemies. And he closed his message by saying, we are praying for you. Because he reasoned in his heart that if if a terrorist could taste, just taste the sweet love of God, that it would chase all hatred from his heart. In Central Africa, when civil war broke out between the rebels and government forces, most of Pastor Jean-Paul Sankagui's church members fled the area because hostility was so high against them. Even the pastor's wife, Mary, urged him to leave the area and work someplace safer. But Pastor Jean-Paul stayed in obedience to what he believed God had called him to do. I have been called to pastor these people in this place in such a time as this. On February 2017, February 7th, Islamists shot Pastor Jean-Paul to death outside his church in Ramanji just before looting the church and then burning it to the ground. They also burned his house to the ground. His wife, Mary, said that they killed her husband because the community no longer wanted Christians in the area. Five other evangelical pastors in the region were killed in the first five weeks of 2017. Pastor Jean-Paul knew the risks. He counted the cost, and he willingly stayed to shepherd his small congregation and serve as a witness for Christ in the neighborhood. In Sri Lanka, April 21st, 2019, Easter Sunday, packed churches. Suicide bombers attacked three churches and several luxury hotels across Sri Lanka in a coordinated attack. 350 people died, many of them Christians celebrating Easter. ISIS took credit for the attacks. The tragedy of those attacks are still deeply felt, even today, by many in the Christian community in Sri Lanka. Christian leaders took the opportunity, however, on Easter Sunday a year later 
to reiterate that the community had forgiven those responsible for the bombings. Cardinal Malcolm, on Easter Sunday, a year later, said this. Last year, some misguided youths attacked us, and we as humans could have given a human and selfish response. But we meditated on God's teachings, and we loved them. We forgave them and had pity on them. We did not hate and return them with violence. Resurrection is the complete rejection of selfishness. It has been said that you do not attack a blind man for running into you because he is blind. These are all within the last five years. And there are hundreds and hundreds more, more severe, more shocking. I just, in preparing for the message, I scanned through stories of martyrs worldwide. I picked some that I felt comfortable reading from a pulpit to a mixed audience. Today I want to introduce you to Matthew chapter 10, verse 11, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And I say introduce you because there's no way I'll be able to cover everything today. But today will serve as an introduction to what I will attempt to share with you next week if the Lord wills. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. Our Lord is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He has given some wonderful things that are blessed things for all of his people, all of his followers to be poor in spirit, meek and merciful, seekers of righteousness, peacemakers. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <clears throat> if I could, if you'll indulge me, let me read some Bible texts to you that are along the same line of thought. Because in the end, you shouldn't really care what I have to say about anything. You should care about what the Bible says. You should not be here to listen to Jeff Rogers pontificate. You should be here to hear the word proclaimed. And that is what I intend to do because that's what matters. Not what I think, not what you think, but what God has said. Amen. I have several passages that I'll burn through, so bear with me. Matthew 10, 34 through 39, Jesus is speaking and he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mark 13, chapter, Mark chapter 13, verse 9 through 13. Jesus again is speaking. He tells us to be on your guard. 
For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're going to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. It is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, for the church. Hebrews 11, 32 through 38, the preacher says, And now what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who, though faith, they had faith and they conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, they obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some of them were tortured. They refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others were mocking, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Philippians 1.29 For it, is not, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Romans 8.16-18 The Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Timothy 8, or 1, verses 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he saved us, in, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day, until that day, what has been entrusted to me. Are you bored? 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners to exile and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil of you, when they speak against you as evildoers, not if but when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And finally, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I could go on (laughs) and on and on with passage after passage an example after example, but I trust after that walk through some texts that you get the idea. It fully escapes me. I do not understand how someone can read the New Testament with an honest heart and come away with a doctrine that is as broken and wretched and poor and destitute of truth and merit as the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. To say that God's greatest plan for me in this life is that I be in perfect health and perfect comfort and have all the money and stuff that I want completely ignores the actual text of the Bible. It completely ignores God's actual word. It ignores the testimony of the apostles. It ignores the testimony of all uh, of the, every single one of them, who all of them who, with the exception of, of maybe the apostle John, they all died horrible, brutal deaths for their faith. One of the most shocking and painful deaths was probably uh, suffered by the apostle Bartholomew. He was skinned alive and then he was beheaded. Let me me explain that just a little bit deeper. We don't want want to read that or hear that and just, just let it be words. He was skinned alive. This means they hung him up like an animal. And they took flaying knives and they would cut strips of his skin large enough to be able to just grab a hold of, to get a grip on, and then rip his skin from his neck to his toe for his whole body. And as he suffered that, after he suffered that in excruciating pain, that wasn't enough. They had to behead him. The prosperity gospel ignores the testimony of the countless martyrs 
and the witnesses of their families throughout all of church history. You know, during the Dark Ages, they devised some horrendous ways to torture and kill Christians because they were Christians. Some were slowly crushed to death as they piled stones on top of them. Some were burned alive. Nero was famous for for putting Christians up on poles in his garden and lighting them on fire to light his garden as he walked. Can you imagine the screams and the stench? And he was able to walk through that and enjoy his garden. Some were drowned. Some were boiled alive. The means of torture and death seem to know no end because men without Christ are truly wicked and cruel. The tormentors, they weren't just concerned or content to let the pain and the torture run their course. They weren't content to let you pass out from the pain. You know, that kind of pain causes a man to lose his consciousness. They weren't content with that. They weren't content to to inflict wounds upon you and let you die quickly from the wounds. They devised ways to to keep Christians both alive and alert while they tortured them so they could inflict maximum amounts of pain. They devised ways to put them through these tortures only to let them heal enough to come back and do it again and again. There are stories of them slowly pulling Christians' arms and legs out of their sockets and then having a physician come in to reset them back into their sockets only so they could put them back through that same torture again. One particularly gruesome torture and death that was used against Christians was to make large bags out of animal skins and then sew Christians into these bags, leaving only their their head and their hands and their feet exposed so they couldn't reach, they couldn't get into the bag. And then what they would do is they'd fill the bag with scorpions and snakes and sew it all up and leave you at the mercy of the scorpions and the snakes. This is not limited to the Dark Ages. Torture and persecution of Christians around the world continues today. It has never stopped. In some parts of the world, Christian women, they are punished for their faith. How they had the temerity to teach their children the gospel. They They had the audacity to talk to their husband about Jesus. And they are punished for their faith. In such, they to punish them, they take them and they literally rape them to death. Children are taken from their parents and cut in half in front of them. This happens in the 20th century. Little girls are kidnapped and forced into so-called marriages. Young boys are taken and forced to become weapons of murder. Christians are imprisoned and executed for the heinous crime of merely possessing a Bible. Families are burned and churches are bombed. In 2015, just a few years ago, it made world news as a terrorist group released a video of the beheadings of 21 Coptic Coptic Christians in Egypt. In China and India during the global pandemic just this past year and even today, people have been forced out of work under under the heavy hand of government and and, uh, lockdowns. They're not able to work, not able to feed their families. State aid has been offered because... That's what they want is for you to be on the, to nestle up to the, your mother's state. They want you to be dependent on the state. So state aid has been offered to feed 
the poor and to feed those who have no jobs. But Christians have been excluded from government aid because of their faith. And they've been told to stop believing in Christ so that their children won't starve. What is amazing is that in story after story of these atrocities, all the Christians had to do and have to do is just give up Christ. I mean, they, all they got to do is say it. They, they don't have to mean it when they say it. They've just got to say it. Just say Jesus Christ is not Lord. All they have to do is confess with their mouth faith in another God or in no God at all, and their sufferings would stop. But over and over, if you do any looking into this history, if you do any reading about it at all, you will see that they face their torture and their persecution and their deaths with great faith in Christ. They even count it an honor to suffer for his great name. This is one of the reasons why we can trust the gospel, why we can trust the New Testament. If you're being skinned alive, your flesh being ripped from your body, and all you have to do is say it wasn't real, but you stick to your guns, you won't recant, that's a truth. A truth that you're willing to not just to die for, but to suffer for. In 1651, in Massachusetts, Reverend Obadiah Holmes was ordered to be whipped by the governor because he had the temerity to hold a prayer meeting in his home. That's not how we do church. He took 30 lashes from a three-tailed whip, 90 lashes in all. The beating was so severe that for days and weeks, you know, they don't just beat you on your back. The whip comes around. The only way he could get rest was to, was to sit up on his elbows and knees. And in spite of all that, in spite of all the pain and all the, the excruciating torment they put him through during that beating, when the last lash fell upon his back, covered in blood, through, through lips soaked with blood, he looked up at his tormentors and he said, Gentlemen, you have whipped me with roses. The prosperity gospel denies the testimony of our Lord. We never really want to think about what Jesus suffered for his glory on our behalf. We're just usually just content to know that he suffered, that he was beaten, and that he was crucified. And that's usually the extent of our dwellings on it. We usually don't go any further than just saying, yeah, acknowledging, yeah, he, he suffered. We tend to have a very sterilized view of the cross. We think that Jesus took his beatings without a whisper. That's how it's portrayed in movies. That they drove spikes through his hands and his feet to nail him to the cross and somehow he was eerily quiet about it. That he was just so overwhelmed with peace and contentment in God that somehow he was able to ignore the excruciating pain of having spikes driven through his hands and feet. I don't think it was like that at all. I think he screamed in agonizing pain until his throat was sore and he couldn't scream anymore. Amen. Who could endure what he endured and not? Can I just tell you that peace does not cancel pain? Amen. There's a very odd marriage between the two that you can 
feel terrible pain and peace at the same time. And such is the grace of God. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. But in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Peace, in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are of Christ, but we are in the world. In Him we have peace. In the world we have tribulation, peace and tribulation, peace and suffering, peace and persecution, peace and pain. They don't cancel each other out. The peace comes because of a, a better promise. It comes because of a more sure and secure promise. I have overcome the world. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The gospel is free, but it is not cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Our gospel is free. Our hope is free. Our assurance is free. But it is not cheap. It cost our Lord. It cost Him dearly. It cost countless others. It cost them dearly. And Christ tells us it is going to cost you. Not that we pay for it. He has paid for it. But we will have to a price. There will be a cost. I don't want you to think through all of this. I don't, and, you know, I don't want this to be a glorifying of, of any kind of suffering. I don't want to be a glorifying of pain or a glorifying of persecution. Though we do have glory in it, I don't want you to seek that kind of thing. We are not to seek persecution. We shouldn't seek it. We are to be uh, quiet people, live quiet lives, as the Scripture says, to live peaceful lives, be salt and light in the world, and spread the love of Jesus and the joy of Christ and the holiness of Christ to others. We shouldn't seek to be martyrs. We shouldn't be in competition about how we're going to die for Him. There's enough, Jesus said, there's enough trouble. The day has enough trouble in it. Don't, 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 don't add worry to it. David said in Psalm 30, verse 9, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Essentially, David is asking, Lord, what, what work can I do for your kingdom if I'm dead? So we shouldn't go looking for problems. Paul said, as much as lies within you, live at peace with all men. And just immediately before Jesus gives us this bombshell of a beatitude, the, the, very, the, 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 the sentence immediately preceding this, before he said, blessed are those who are persecuted, what did he say? Blessed are the peacemakers. 
So it follows then that we should seek peace and not persecution, even if it's a blessed thing. Back in in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look also at the promise for those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, this is the only blessing that repeats a promise. It's the same promise that Jesus gives us in the very first words of his sermon in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need not chase persecution. It will find you. We need not chase persecution because we already have the same promise from being poor in the spirit. And I think Jesus did that on purpose. We shouldn't be looking for ways to die. We shouldn't be looking for trouble. We already have a promise in being poor in spirit. But as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, don't be surprised when trouble does come. This is not anything new. This is not anything out of the ordinary. This is not anything strange for Christians. This is part of what it is to be a Christian. Trouble will come. Notice that the language of, of the beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted is somewhat different than the rest of them. This is something that happens to the believers. All the other ones, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peaceful. That's something that, that, we, that we take part in, that we pursue. This pursues us. Persecution pursues the Christian. Don't be surprised when trouble does come. Our Lord was very well acquainted with grief. And he said, the servant is not above his master. In Matthew 10, 25, he said, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So we shouldn't seek persecution, but we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. In fact, we should expect it and be ready for it. And even more than that, Jesus says that we ought to rejoice when it comes because our reward is great in heaven. Notice this is the only one of the Beatitudes that comes with an explicit command. All of the others are implicit. They have an implied commandment in them. But this one, Jesus flat out says, rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted for righteousness. It's a commandment. Not to wallow and say, oh, Lord, miserable me. How can this happen to me? Why have you forsaken me? But rejoice and be glad. Why then do we look at persecution as punishments? Why do we often get thrown off guard by them? Why do we let them steal our joy and our faith? Some of this has to do with the idea, our idea of what persecution actually is. Jesus gave two massively qualifying statements in, in this, these verses when he said, for righteousness sake and on my account. Not all persecution is blessed and we would do well to know the difference and understand the difference, especially when we are facing persecution. That helps us to know how to pray when we know whether this is persecution for righteousness sake on his account or this is just part of living in a fallen world. We'll try to cover some of that next week as I go deeper into this beatitude. There's so much to say here. I just, there's no way I can do it justice. There's no way I can get to all of it in the time that I have for one message. What I do want you to take away from today, though, is that Jesus never promised that the world that we have, that the world that we live in would be easy by following him. He gave us full disclosure None of this is fine print. 
None of this is an addendum. None of this is an amendment to the terms. It's all up front. In the presentation of the gospel, it is up front. You will be persecuted on my account. Jesus is clear. The apostles were clear. History is clear. In this life, you will have tribulation. Not just any tribulation. Not just the normal uh, you know, misgivings of life that come with living in a fallen world, but tribulation on top of that. Tribulation because of who you are in Christ, because of your Lord. We do ourselves absolutely no service. In fact, we lie to ourselves and we set ourselves up for great fall to make shipwreck of our faith when we don't recognize that. If all of our hope is in the material blessings of God, and yes, do not get me wrong, He absolutely does provide material blessings. But if all of our hope and happiness lies in those material blessings, then we have chosen the gift over the giver. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They chose the fruit of a tree over the perfect glory of God. So Jesus prepares us in the presentation. Right at the very beginning, he prepares us to know that the way that is hard that leads to life. When you suffer for my sake and you will suffer, know that you are blessed and rejoice because of it. Let us pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, who is our all in all. In the name of Christ, our Lord and our treasure, who has given all for us and has called us to give all for him. Father, I ask you now that you give us humility to receive this word. Give us strength to make it through our lives as we face persecution, to not be moved or shaken by it, to not be knocked off our feet because of it, but to be able to stand firm in faith, knowing that you have overcome the world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.